0: Today on Compassion Radio.
1: In every unit, in every team, in every group, there is someone that like keeps the rest going. And it does not mean you belong to the church. Almost everyone a believer there. They really want to save their brothers. They want to save their friends. They want to protect them. I did not see as many Bibles or Gospels in civilian lives or homes Hmm. as I see in the trenches in the front lines.
0: Hello, friends, and welcome back for part two of a genuine Frontlines report from Ukraine. Your prayers and monetary support for our Served Ukraine project have had a seriously positive impact. Oksana Gorbanova is our guide and an intrepid one at that. For the past two years, she's been in the thick of it, evacuating at-risk orphans, endangered families, and wounded soldiers. And that's just on the return leg of her constant trips to the front lines. On the way in, she carries relief supplies, food, and medicine to those who can't, or won't leave the danger zone. Why does she do it? Well, love of country is certainly in the mix, but mostly she constantly risks her life because the kingdom of God is there, caring for any and every person in need and traumatized by war. That includes those who are sworn enemies of her country. We'll pick up the conversation today with a short recap on how to truly honor those who give all for their neighbors. Thanks for joining us today. And I talked to Oles a couple days ago about Tola because I wanted him to be able to give a proper tribute to him. And it was a beautiful conversation we had. And I have great respect for their family and for what God did in Tola's life. And I'm glad we were able to tell that story. And I don't want to have to tell that many more stories from Ukraine. But if God calls them home for serving their country and serving people like you and your children and the future generations of Ukraine, we will tell those stories because it's a kingdom story. God calls people to a living sacrifice. I want that spirit to be alive and will Mm
2: -hmm.
0: in your kids and your children's children. I want to be able to be able to tell those stories of restoration in the years to come. I remember the first time I came close to where the immigration line was in Romania and Moldova during that first wave of evacuations, how many of the children had to leave behind their pets how they would ask us questions of when will I see them again? What do you tell a kid who's holding a picture of their favorite pet and he's showing it to you because he wants you to love it too?
1: This is actually the topic that I just talked to a couple of days with one of my friend, The interesting thing that amazed me in a bad way that we as humans living in 21st centuries were successful in lots of directions, industries, technologies. We... We create yeah. some stuff, we will learn lots of stuff, but we're really, there's like progress and regress, right? So we do right. regressing in human things, in the normal human way. The
0: spiritual things.
1: Spiritual things relationship and relationship, and you just uh, remind me kids, and you know, the, I have like two directions of my ministry, of my actions, what I'm doing in the wars, so because I have the militaries and I have the civilians. Right. And one of my location, it's Kherson, that been under occupation
0: and underwater for half a year.
1: Yes, yes, I've been there right after, and I have mm. the orphans there that I've been working with them even before the war. So I don't know how many trips I made to Kherson. And actually, compared to the Donetsk front line and Kherson, I felt more safe being on the line zero than in Kherson. Mm. Because in Donetsk, you at least know where is the line of the fight. And yes, you can hear and still, like, you know, the fighting are going and you can see some rockets from line.
0: Things are very much black and white there.
1: Yeah, you know where is the line. And here Kherson, it's still because Russians on another side of the river and Ukrainians now are trying to push them. But they they have just, like, constant shelling. So you don't know where the next rocket will fall. You don't know what the next happens. I don't know if you saw that like two weeks ago, the real family was taking baby to Nikolayev, the closest city,
0: and they just hit
1: up the bomb from the drone, and, and the parents died and they saved the four month baby. They get used to and they understand where is the air alarm. They go into the shelter all the time. They know what's flying, how flying, how fast, how it sounds. But it's still nothing compared to the kids that lived on the occupation. And still live in the Kherson, and I trying to teach my kids that even those conditions that we live right now, it's nothing compared to their condition. And you have food every day. And like when my younger one sometimes saying, "I don't want the sandwich," and I said, "There is someone in Kherson would love to have the sandwich, but they don't have it. And you now say that you don't want to eat it." So my little one one day brought me all his collected money to bring to Kherson, but. I want to keep with the kids because kids, it's my painful thing and the painful side of the war. Because like Mm -hmm. this war for me, it's like really evil against the humanity. I'm not trying to find any excuses for any wars. There's no excuses for any war. But this war is like way even more than the any war I heard about it. And like, I can like talk about the things they do to the kids, the things they do to civilians. I don't know enough English words for this.
0: I understand that.
1: Remember I told you about Bucha last time? Yes. That is like word heard about it, but it's nothing even compared to what's really happened there. And the eyes, when we were coming to the Bucha and getting people out of the basements that stayed there like weeks, some of them like stories you hear about, it, like, mom left the shelter to bring the water and she was like killed right next to the door and the kids like collected the part of the body in the bag and keep that for a couple of weeks at least to have something to bury or like still remember the the mom, mom and i cannot get her out of my head there was a woman that uh, was in a shelter with three daughters 14 12 and 10 year old When the Russians came, they raped mom in front of the kids, and they they raped kids in front of the mom. So two older ones did not survive. She left only with the youngest one. And it's like, what psychological help can help? I mean, what counseling can help? You still need to find a reason to live after everything you went through. My close family, the Christian, they lost two men in one family. Yes. It's been more than a year already. The mom, she's saying, Every day I'm trying to find the sense or the reason to live for myself. Every single family I've experienced something like that. I don't know. I still have faith. I'm sure we will win in this war because the evil needs to be overcome. But but the consequences of the war, the price that Ukraine paid already, and this destroyed families, destroyed humans, even they still alive, they destroyed. I'm working yes. with the veterans right now, and like they coming back from the captivity from Russia. Mm-hmm. It's nothing to compare what the Russians have in captivity in Ukraine. And the stories they say like The one my friend came being like nine months in the captivity, and he's telling the story that the only thing helped him to survive is just the thought about that he wants to come back. So this is for me the painful thing that we are as humans, and I'm talking about both sides right now, just in general, we are really regressing. The war in Ukraine, everybody see it, everybody understands what's going on, whole world are just looking at it with compression. That's how they say. Yeah. And most of that should understand that Ukraine right now is fighting not only for Ukraine. And the Russia, this is the evil that's not stopping. Even if you look in the history, they never were stopping. And they're using the same principles and the same way how they fight all the time. But so I don't know what what else should happen so the world would stand against it. I don't know.
0: You have just tried to wrap your arms around a universe of Conflict and conflicting ideas Mm -hmm. and values. I can't give you any sense of how that resolves either. I don't know. I do know that the resolve you have shown, though, is one that puts faith in a God who transcends circumstances but does not avoid them, that God Himself is entering into these circumstances. And I have no idea how he's going to restore broken souls, people that have seen unbelievable atrocities or have lost someone in their immediate family to their left or to their right. I can't fathom how I would or my kids would have to go through that and yet you do on a daily basis. So I want to encourage our listeners again to keep praying for those who suffer at the front and suffer because they serve those at the front like you do, Oksana. The other thing that I get in trouble sometimes with when I talk to my American evangelical friends is... We love black and white demarcation lines where this is right, this is wrong. There's no mixing whatsoever. And when you talk to people who serve in places where there's nothing but destruction and death around you, and you're trying to be a living light and salt of the earth where you are because you believe that God has called you to be there for his purposes, not just your national pride. To do that means that you lay yourself on the altar and say, God, whatever you want from me today, I will give it because you will give the power to do what you want done. Often, as we found out early in the war, and even before this last major onslaught, which became the full-blown war, I was hearing the stories of faithful Christians who were serving at the front then, who were taking in the orphans of Russian soldiers that had died and partisans that had fought against your nation, and they were running orphanages for those children of their enemies. I know it's still going on, Mm -hmm. but it's not something that is understood easily by those in the west who say oh you know let them take care of themselves in the same way that i speak to those who seem to be on the side of palestinians only or the side of israelis only in their conflict you are living not in a gray area but in an area that demands light in darkness It's not the same thing as saying this is right all the time, this is wrong all the time, but there are people who suffer. And where there is suffering, you step in and you have compassion for anybody who suffers, whether it's your enemy or your enemy's child or whether it's your best friend. Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478 and note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. And now, back to the broadcast. You are living not in a gray area, but in an area that demands light in darkness. It's not the same thing as saying this is right all the time, this is wrong all the time, but there are people who suffer. And where there is suffering, you step in and you have compassion for anybody who suffers, whether it's your enemy or your enemy's child, or whether it's your best friend. So tell me, Oksana, in your experience, those who God is using to save souls and to be compassionate to people, how does that play itself out when it is not clear cut that this person, quote, deserves your compassion? How do you decide those things?
1: So I think I'm, I'm like, I don't know if you know that uh, Max Lucado story about the boy that was saving the ocean stars.
0: Oh, yeah, the starfish. Yeah, I remember that story.
1: He was like, I can save this one or I can save
0: this one. And it's not a moral question at that point whether the starfish deserves to be saved. It's just that it's in front of you.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the thing, actually, that um, I didn't want to say it like proudly, but actually that's what I see during this war. This is the difference between us and Russia. Whatever is the hard decision in your life will come. And it's, it's not only about the war. It's like any decision in business and family, in like compared to your friends. I mean, any human, it's always based on your inside values. Mm-hmm. And there is like, you know, the inside foundation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's why I see lots of stories like you say, and even have the doctors treat the Russian soldiers, Ukrainian doctors treat the Russian soldiers and how they save them from the front lines, they let them call their families, they let them family know that they're alive or whatever. And it's nothing that we experience from another side. So I'm proud of my people. I mean, mm-hmm. really. I mean, I'm proud that we are stronger and spiritually that we can do it. I'm proud that we can save them. And I'm proud that we can show them something that they've never experienced before. And I really hope that that little light for them, if I can say that light, if they see the light in this. Yes. But I think every human will felt something inside if you know that you're not deserved but you was treated something good, and you know that you're not deserve it will stay in your heart. And I mean, you will remember. You will ask yourself, what happened, what happened? Or why that person acted with me that way. Let those people who went through this undeserved care or something be as this ocean star (laughs) saved in the future.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. That they would be able to breathe the atmosphere of their own world again.
1: Yeah, and I think that, this war, as I said, it's a humanity, like evil against the humanity. But I think maybe for some, there needs to be a lesson of humanity, even in the war.
0: So. No doubt. Uh, I do wonder, too, about the remnant. We talk about those things philosophically or theologically. I've heard time and time again that there are faithful believers and followers of Jesus throughout Russia that are just right now under such persecution and denial of their own dignity, that it seems like it's impossible for them to reach out and do the kinds of things that you and your people are doing in your war. There are Christians that love Jesus and are apparently serving quietly. I want us to keep praying for the kingdom in Russia that is actually doing the work of providing hope in the deep darkness over their country. Maybe you hear more about that from where you sit—that you have connections and people that still associate with believers who are faithful throughout Russia. Yeah,
1: we do you work through the chaplains. You know, the chaplains. Chaplains. Yeah, chaplains. It's interesting situation right now. So it's almost two years of the war, and I can say that almost everyone became a chaplain. Yeah, I'm amazed. Like I'm working with one of the brigades. They have lots of foreign there. They start every morning with a prayer. And it doesn't matter who you was before, or did you go to church or not, did you have faith or not, or just do you believe or not. This is like the pictures that give you hope when you see all the soldiers staying on knees, mm-hmm. face a rising sun, and give the prayer before they start everything. I can say uh, that doctor that I told you, the one that I'm helping to, and I know many years we have sometimes, like evenings, it's my time for like conversation with the front lines and the mm-hmm. phone calls, and he's saving people. And he said, we have this sign. If it's dead body, it's like 200. And if it's wounded, it's 300. They so even mark people sometimes on the front line for the doctors.
0: So you know what to do with them when they arrive at the evacuation centers?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: It's a code number, they would say.
1: Yes, it's a code number. Yeah. so I didn't know the word. So... He's saying that he's personal proud that every 300 he took from the front lines, he broke to the safe area alive. Mm. So no one is died on his evacuation trips or, you know, yeah. mooring uh, out. But because he's empathic like me, and sometimes he said, I'm walking outside, and I'm sitting outside, and I want to scream like a wolf on the moon. Because mm. uh, you see so much during the day. And, but you still need to be, as you said, like keep the faith in, in the rest of people in every unit, in every team, in every group, there is someone that like keeps the rest going, you know, like yes. keeps the experience.
0: ministry of encouragement.
1: Yeah, and I think that the person of faith, this is almost second person right now on the front lines, and it does not mean you belong to the church or not. They all believe almost everyone a believer there. Yeah. Because they do believe, they do pray before they go to any mission because they really want to save their brothers, they want to save their friends, they want to protect them. And I did not see as many Bibles or Gospels in civilian lives or homes hmm. as I see in the trenches and in the front line. And most of them I carry the small ones.
0: Pocket Bibles. Okay.
1: In their pockets or the bulletproof rest. Even those who have not been believers before they, they believe right now because they don't have any choice. And they don't have anyone to put hope on. And they know that the thing depends not from them.
0: And it may be a hope of desire or desperation that they may understand how God can be real in circumstances, but they know that they desire something like that to be true. And then they look at the folks around them. They have to hang on to the hope that they have. But there comes a time, I think you're right, when each individual comes face to face with that choice. Will I choose to believe that God actually is there and that he's good? And that if he is good and this is awful and terrible, how does that work? And they ask the tough questions. And I think it's at that point where God's presence comes in.
1: And this is one of the ways, you know, like some people come into the God from the like good circumstances. I don't know someone's witness or testimony or something, but I think the most people come in through the suffering yeah. or yeah, yeah. through the desperate uh, spot. When you got to the spot, when everything that had mattered for you before, mm-hmm. or you lose someone or something that you saw that it's something before, this is a human spirit. You start to seek something more, mm-hmm. something something bigger. They have enough time in chances. When they come in from the mission, they have time to think. And when you lose people, are they losing people every day? They're losing those they are fighting with. You think more about life and death. You think what is behind, what is after, what happens if. Yeah. And that if forces people to seek something more deeper, bigger, and more important in life. So that's how most of them are coming to the faith. And they have lots of testimonies, even not Christian people. Mm-hmm lots of testimonies like pray before the fight or i prayed for my friend or i prayed for him to survive or i prayed not to lose my leg or like those kind of things and it happened mm. it's like through the faith i mean they started to believe and they they keep praying more they keep ask more they you know keep do more and good if they have the spiritual someone like chapman or someone in the unit it's not all of them have but as I said, all of them are priests to each other right now because they won't read and share.
0: And I do believe that God, in first contact, shall we say, reaches out to people to answer the prayers they're able to pray, and that as they grow in their faith, however, if they get to it, that God starts expanding their courage in the kind of things they pray for. And, you know, I talked with Oles, our friend, who had lost his good friend, about the deeper things. When you go deeper into this faith and you have to survive something that is unjust, is unreasonable, is unreal in its horror, and you come out the other side, the why questions don't matter as much anymore because... Some mysteries will never be resolved in our lifetime, and yet we have to make the decisions about what our prayer means. What are we expecting of God? Are we waiting for him to fix something, or are we wanting him? And I do think that those who are deepest in their faith, so to speak, they know the worst could happen to them, or might, or will. And when it does, when the if happens and becomes the thing that is, where is God in that? And do I want him to be there? Do I want to be with him in this? Do I want him to be near me when the worst happens? And that's the kind of thing that I think that most people would describe as the question about what real faith is going to be. Is it going to be something where even loss cannot break it, but that it is real because it now has entered into the suffering that Jesus knows about? You know, What's your experience with those who have gone deeper in their faith and how they're able to express it? What lessons are they learning right now?
1: It's hard to say, Like, I'll give you like exact example, because on the front lines, we don't have time to talk much, because usually you just do things what you have to do.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: But for example, like they do their rotations, and this is one unit that I told you, I have a friend, he's from Finland. All the way from Finland, huh? And he's here since the beginning of the war. He was wounded a year ago, mm. survived, and he still, talk about it as a second birth. Yeah. He speaks Ukrainian, what is amazing he, Like, I me, mean, that the person can learn Ukrainian for that short time. But I'm asking him, like, what are you doing in my country? And he said, I'm protecting it. And said, why do you protect my country? He said, we hate Russians, historically. <laughs> like, I didn't have a choice.
0: The Finns have had their own battles, haven't they?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, but also I was looking for this country and for these people all my life. Mm. And I'm not going to leave this country.
0: Oksana Gorbanova and I continue our conversation on frontline faith in action in Ukraine, and that's coming up next week. Please plan to join us right here for that or catch the podcast at our website, CompassionRadio.com.
2: to sa
0: Compassion Radio is still the radio voice of the global church, and that's completely due to the Lord's provision through you. Give online today at CompassionRadio.com or call us at 1-800-868-2478 or write us, P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877.